All right, if you uh, would like to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and hold your place at verse 18, and then also turn to Luke chapter 1 and hold your place at verse uh, 26. We're going to read uh, a couple of passages of Scripture here in just a few minutes. If you need a Bible, Bibles are available on either side uh, of the sound booth, and you're welcome uh, to, uh, to borrow one of the uh, hardback Bibles or uh, have one of the uh, Uh, paperback Bibles. You know, as you read through the scriptures, one of the things that always stands out to me as being remarkable is how God works through human beings to accomplish his purposes. He, He enlists the help of ordinary people to partner with him to do absolutely extraordinary uh, things. Let me just give you a few examples that we find throughout Scripture of how God used ordinary people to do great things. The the evil of mankind reached a place that God could not tolerate it anymore. And, And so he determined that he was going to destroy the world with a flood. But he wanted to preserve a uh, a remnant of righteous people in the earth. And so he worked through a man named Noah who built an ark that carried uh, this righteous remnant through the flood. Uh, Noah cooperated with this plan of God even though he was ridiculed as he was being obedient. When God wanted to deliver the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery that they had been in for 400 years, he used an ordinary man named Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And uh, many of you will know the story. Pharaoh uh, wasn't real cooperative, but Moses did eventually lead the people out of Egypt only to have Pharaoh pursue them. And they came to this point in time when there was a sea in front of them and Pharaoh's approaching army behind them, and they were in a tough spot. And what happened, if you know the story, is that God parted the waters so that the people could walk across. By the way, Scripture tells us they walked across on dry ground. And then as the Egyptians, seeing what they had done, come after them, then the waters collapsed in and destroyed uh, the armies of the enemies of God. The waters were parted, something that only God could do. But God still required Moses cooperation. He told him to stretch out, uh, his, to lift up his staff and to stretch out his hand, and then the waters parted. When God wanted to defeat a giant of a man named Goliath that was taunting the armies of Israel, he enlisted the cooperation of a young man named David, who confronted Goliath with five smooth stones and a slingshot. Now, David was skilled with a the slingshot. There shouldn't be any doubt about that. But you are never going to convince me that God did not guide that stone to the center of Goliath's forehead. I personally believe that David could have been running toward Goliath, doing this with the sling, tripped and fell, and the stone would have went up in the air, and somehow that stone was still going to find its way to the center of Goliath's forehead. Whether that's true or not, here's what is true. God's plan required David's participation. David had to be willing to go out 
and face Goliath, something that no one else was willing to do. David had to place the stone in the sling. David had to twirl the sling around his head and then release it. When the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ needed to be taken uh, throughout the Roman Empire, the Holy Spirit empowered men like the Apostle Paul to take the gospel uh, throughout the Gentile world. They were spirit-led. They were spirit-empowered. It was a work of God. It was God at work in the earth. And yet it was men like Paul who had to board the ships that would take them to the cities where they would proclaim the gospel. They had to open their mouths and allow the gospel to come out. They suffered persecution in the name of Jesus. And as they cooperated, Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire. It was a work of God, but it required the participation, the cooperation of people for the fulfillment of God's plan. You see this over and over in Scripture, including the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. On this Sunday before Christmas, I want us to look at two passages of Scripture that deal with the birth of Jesus and see how the birth of the Savior, an act of God, this is the, the work of God, but how it still required the participation of people that God chose to enlist in his plan. So I want us to first look at Matthew 1, 18 through 25, where we're going to see what the birth of Jesus required of Joseph. So if you have your place there, follow along as I read. Here's what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So Joseph and Mary are pledged to be married. Uh, It's a bit like what we think of as being engaged, but it was much more binding than what our engagements are, as their betrothal could only be broken by divorce. While couples didn't live together or have intimate relations until the marriage ceremony... Uh, which is always a good idea, Uh, unfaithfulness on the part of the betrothed was treated as adultery. And and some uh, scholars say that it was punishable by death. So understanding that, we understand that when our text says that Mary was uh, pledged to be married to Joseph, quote, but before they came together, she was found to be with child, it is letting us know that Mary and Joseph have a really big problem. They've got a problem. They have not been intimate with one another. 
and yet she's pregnant. In the words of the famous, at least if you're over 50, the famous Ricky Ricardo, somebody's got some splaining to do. (laughs) We find out a lot about the character of Joseph here in that rather than pursue the harsh punishment that the law allowed for, he chose to try to spare her from some public disgrace and to divorce her quietly. And verse 20 tells us that after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him that he should take Mary home to be his wife. Quote, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, is how the angel said it, because the angel goes on and says what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to a son, give him the name Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. Now, those of us who have been Christians for a long time often uh, read this, and we fail to properly consider how incredible this really uh, is. I mean, consider what Joseph is being asked to believe. He is being asked to believe that his pregnant fiance, who he has never been intimate with, has not cheated on him. He's being asked to believe that his fiance is a pregnant virgin. He's being asked to believe that she is a pregnant virgin because the Holy Spirit caused her to conceive. Now, how's that for a story? Oh, it's okay, honey. The Holy Spirit caused this. He's being asked to believe that this child conceived without the involvement of a man conceived by the Holy Spirit is going to be the Savior of his people. And not just a political Savior, but one who will save people from their sins. And he's being asked to believe these things so completely that he's willing to go ahead and take this woman to be his wife, even though she's pregnant and he had nothing to do with it. God the Father is sending his Son into the world to save the world. The Holy Spirit has caused Mary to be pregnant. But God wants Jesus to have an earthly father. And so his plan needs a man who will believe God's plan and cooperate with God's plan. Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Can we agree that God is asking a lot of Joseph? He's asking Joseph to believe the impossible is possible with God. Virgins don't have babies. He's asking Joseph to be willing to put his reputation on the line. People are either going to think that Joseph and Mary have been inappropriately intimate, or they're going to think that his betrothed has been unfaithful to him before they've even married. He's asking Joseph to raise a child that is not his biologically. And he's asking Joseph to release his rights to marry. I mean, you can imagine Joseph having this thought go through his mind, but I don't want Mary's first child to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. I want Mary's first child to be conceived by Joseph. You, you can just imagine this, this coming from him. Jesus coming into the world is God's plan. The, the incarnation is an act of God. 
But God wants Joseph to cooperate. God's plan requires a man that is willing to cooperate with it. Now let's look at Luke 1, 26 through 38. And in these verses we find what the plan of God required of Mary. Here's what Luke 1 tells us. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So the angel of the Lord appears to Mary, announces that She's going to give birth to a son, that he's going to be the son of the Most High, that he's going to be given the throne of David, and that his kingdom will never end. And you can imagine Mary hearing all of this, taking it all in, and then she has this one little question. How is this going to be since I am a virgin? The angel explains it to her. The child's going to be conceived as a result of the Holy Spirit. The Most High will overshadow her. The conception of the child is going to be a miracle. It's going to be an act of God. Now let's understand what God's plan, what the birth of Jesus required of Mary. Very similar to Joseph, it required her to believe that what is impossible is possible with God. Mary understood as well as Joseph did that virgins don't have babies. God's plan required that she would believe that the child she was going to give birth to would be the king of a kingdom that would never end. I mean, we all have aspirations for our children. And most of us think that, you know, hey, our kids can do some pretty significant things. But, but how often do you think, hey, my, my kid's going to be the king of a kingdom that will never end? Uh, I mean, that, that goes beyond president of the United States stuff there. And... Uh, And this is what she's being asked to believe. She was being asked to trust God with her reputation and allow God to be her defender. I don't think we appreciate what a compromised position Mary was in. The story she was going to have is a story that just sounds too incredible. How would she believe? How would Joseph believe this? I'm sure she understood the potential consequences for being pregnant outside of marriage and apart from the involvement of her betrothed. God's plan required Mary to be willing to trust God with her reputation and allow God to be her defender. God's plan required Mary to trust her future to him. 
You know, the scriptures don't give us every single detail of the story, but I have little doubt that Mary knew that Joseph was considering what to do about her condition. And even the gracious approach that Joseph was considering to divorce her quietly was going to have huge ramifications for her future. God's plan was putting Mary's future in question. The birth of the Savior, the plan of God, a work of God required a pregnant virgin to trust her future, to entrust her very life to God and His plan. So she had to believe what is impossible as possible. Trust God with her reputation. Trust God with her future. God's plan. The coming of Christ is God's doing. But he required the participation of this young virgin to fulfill his plan of sending his one and only son into the world to die for the sins of the world, to seek and to save lost people, including you and I. So we've seen what God's plan required of them, the cooperation that God asked of them. He asked a lot. And so how did they respond? First, Joseph. Now, I'm being a little bit repetitive here, but I, I just want, I want us to really understand this. Think of everything Joseph has been asked. Believe the impossible is possible. To take a pregnant woman as his wife, even though he's never been intimate with her. To be asked to raise a child that he didn't father. To be asked to believe, he's been asked to believe that that father, uh, child was fathered by the Holy Spirit. He's been asked to release his rights to marry. This plan of God required a lot. And here's how he responds to all that's been asked of him. It's in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 1. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. So he considered all of these things. He considered all that God's plan was requiring of him. And he said, yes, I will do it. Now, Mary, she's been asked to believe that the impossible is possible. She's been asked to believe that her child will be the king of an eternal kingdom. She's been asked to trust her reputation to God. She's been asked to allow God to be her defender. She's been asked to completely entrust her future to God, a future that could be very uncertain. We can all agree that cooperating with God's plan was very costly for her. And here's something we need to remember. Cooperating with God's plan was not going to stop with the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. The plan of God required much more of her. She was going to raise a boy that she wasn't always going to understand. He was going to do things as he was growing up, like at 12 years old, sitting in the temple confounding the rabbis. He was going to do things that she wasn't going to understand, that, that would confuse and perplex her. And the plan of God required her to ultimately see Jesus die an excruciating death on a cross. This one that she was told is going to be the king of an eternal kingdom, she would see him die a death reserved for the worst of society, the dregs of society. 
She would kneel at the foot of his cross and look up at him as he bled and died. God's plan required Mary to endure unspeakable agony because that is her boy that is dying this excruciating death. She loved him as much as any of us love our children. She looked up at him and saw the pain that he was in, and it was excruciating for her. Here's how she responded to the angel's announcement of how God is requiring her to cooperate with his plan. Verse 38, Luke 1, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She considers all that cooperating with God's plan means for her. Of course, she didn't understand it all, but what she does understand, what it, what it means for her, and she says, yes, I'll do it. Listen, friends, there is something within the plans of God that requires the participation of each and every person here today. Just like God's plan required the cooperation of Joseph, and his plan required Mary's participation, there is something that God is up to that requires your participation. And the question that I want us to consider today, just two days before we celebrate the birth of the Savior, is how will, make it personal, how will I respond to what God's plan requires of me? Something that God is up to in the world requires you to be involved. How are you going to respond to what God is asking of you? But before you answer that question, you need to answer this question. What is God asking of me? What is God asking of me? He's asking something, each and every one of us. What is it for you? For some, maybe he's asking you to finally turn to Christ for salvation. To, to stop believing that thing you've always believed that as long as you're a pretty good person, you get to go to heaven. To finally realize that's not true, but even if it were, I'm not that good of a person. And to turn to Christ in faith. Maybe he's asking you to stop allowing pressure from a family member or the possible ridicule of a friend. Stop allowing that to keep you from turning to Christ for salvation. For some here today, he may be asking you to step up to the plate in your marriage. He wants to heal it. But you know, friends, to heal marriages, he needs you to cooperate. He needs you to go along with the plan. And so maybe he's asking you to be the one who says, okay, all right. I'll be the one who makes the first move. I, I think God has told me I need to make the first move, so I will do that. For some, he's asking you to step out of your comfort zone and share your faith with your neighbor, a coworker, your mom, or your dad. For some, he's asking you to get more involved in kindness outreaches that the church does. That during 2013, that you're going to be involved in more of those, or maybe you'll be involved in one where you previously weren't. I believe that for everyone who uh, goes to church here and considers this your church home, that he is calling you to commit to read at least one chapter of the Bible a day in 2013. 
For some, he's asking you to commit to serving our kids. Maybe you've been hesitant because you see that as such a, uh, such a big commitment. But he's telling you that you need to cooperate with his plan of showing love to the kids of this church and the kids that come to this church from the community. And, and he wants you to be involved in, flu- in influencing them toward a lifetime commitment to him. For some, he's asking you to finally yield that favorite sin that you've been holding back from him. In so many areas of your life, you're doing really, really well. You serve, you're faithful to worship, but you've been holding on to, perhaps for years, some habitual sin. Because you like it. You don't want to give it up. But for your good, and for his plan, and for how he wants to use you, He's requiring you to finally say, yes, I'll give it up. For some, he's asking you to forego a promotion that might be before you right now or that you may entertain in the next few months. He's asking you to forego the promotion because the added responsibility is going to take you away from your spouse and kids more. It's going to further strain your inconsistent devotional life. It's going to add a lot of stress to your life that's going to be detrimental to your marriage and to your parenting. You know that sometimes God calls us to leave money on the table. Didn't want to hear that message, right, as the Christmas bills are coming in. Yeah, sometimes God calls us to forego more money. For some, he's asking you to simplify your life. To get rid of clutter, to reduce consumption. Maybe he's even asking you to sell a house, to downsize. Maybe because he wants more margin in your budget so you can be more of a blessing to other people. Or maybe it's for something that he's getting ready to do in your life. Maybe he's getting ready to call you to serve in foreign missions. Or maybe he's getting ready to call you to leave where you're at and go to another city and help plant a church. But whatever it is, his plan is for you, he wants you lean and ready to respond. I could go through a hundred different scenarios, but what I really want you to do today is honestly answer the question, what is God asking of you? I think that every person here today, if you entertain that question honestly, you will come up with something that you sense God is asking you to do. Now, there may be more that he's asking, but you will come up with something that God wants from you. What is it for you? How are you going to respond to what God is asking? It's an important question. Will you cooperate with God's plan, or will you withhold your cooperation? Here is my challenge for all of us this Christmas. It is to respond to what God is asking of us the same way that Joseph responded to what God asked of him. To say, yes, yes, I will do it. Whatever you're asking of me, God, I will do it. You may have been saying no for a long time. In fact, I think many of you, as we've started to think about these questions, you have, you, you, you've known since, like I first started talking, you've known what it is that God wants from you because you've known for a long time what God wants from you. But you've been holding back on him. 
So today, do what Joseph did. Finally, yield. Say yes, yes. This Christmas, I will say yes. My challenge is that this Christmas, you would respond to what God is asking the same way Mary responded to what God asked of her. Consider all that God's plan requires. She did that. And she responded, may it be to me as you have said. Think of that one thing that's in your mind. And I'm asking you today to respond like Mary did. God is calling you husband to step up and be a better leader in your home. Say, may it be to me as you have said. If God is calling you husband or wife or both to be better parents, to be more intentional about how you're raising your kids, to to be more thoughtful about how you can help to bend them toward Jesus, respond, may it be to me as you have said. God may be calling some of us here today to a ministry that causes our future to be uncertain. Foreign missions, church planting, something that's in your mind too big, too much to ask, too much uncertainty attached to it. But if He's really calling you to it, you sense it, and say, may it be to me, as you have said. Some of you here today, he is calling you to finally turn to him in faith. To finally, after perhaps years of resisting him, to finally say, yes, I want Jesus to be my Savior. I want him to be my Lord. If If that's you that he's calling that way, today respond, may it be to me as you have said. This Christmas today, I encourage all of us to consider what God is asking of us. The cooperation with his plan that he is requiring of us. Whatever it is, whatever it is for you, to consider it and respond the way Joseph and the way Mary responded. I pray that this Christmas, the cry of every person in this room, the, 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 the thing that every person in this room would give to God this Christmas would be this, God, may it be to me as you have said. Why don't you stand?